0: Hi, and welcome to the ILO's Global Business Network on Forced Labour podcast. We are the global business network bringing together businesses of all sizes and sectors and their representative organisations from around the globe to end forced labour. My name is Mariska van der Linden, and I am a consultant working with the network. During the COVID 19 pandemic, the global demand for rubber products soared, specifically for medical gloves. The Malaysian rubber industry ramped up production whilst facing a critical labour shortage. Reports of forced labour in the industry were rife, with the United States enforcing trade sanctions against seven companies. Unfair recruitment practices were found to be a major issue that needed tackling, including high recruitment fees paid by workers, which led to debt bondage. Malaysia is the world's biggest producer of rubber gloves and its seventh largest rubber grower. Malaysia exports rubber products to more than 190 countries. The industry employs around 70,000 workers, including 40,000 migrant workers. In response to the US trade sanctions, glove manufacturing enterprises took drastic action. Among other things, they adopted a zero recruitment fee approach where workers do not pay for their recruitment. Companies spent millions of US dollars reimbursing migrant workers' recruitment fees which is a rare example of coordinated and business-led remediation. As a result, these businesses substantially reduced workers' vulnerability to forced labor. Now, just a few years down the line, the Malaysian rubber industry has made an impressive turnaround. Of the seven companies banned from exporting to the U.S., six have had the ban lifted. In 2023, Malaysia also moved out of the lowest tier in the U.S. State Department's annual Trafficking in Persons Report and is now back in the tier two watch list category. In this episode, we are going to explore how Malaysia's rubber industry managed to change things for the better in such a short timeframe. We'll be talking to three business experts, all involved with the ILO and European Union's initiative, Supply Chains for a Sustainable Future of Work Project, Decent Work in the Rubber Glove Supply Chain, which has been active in Malaysia since 2021. The initiative is actively assisting the government, industry associations and the Malaysian Trade Union Congress to improve recruitment practices and the working conditions of migrant workers and eradicate forced labor in the supply chain. First, we will hear from Datuk Shamsuddin Badan, Executive Director at the Malaysian Employees Federation or MEF, a leading national business association with more than 5,000 members from all sectors. The MEF is also an active ILO GBNFL member and has partnered with the network to deliver training on forced labor to small and medium-sized businesses and to develop a due diligence guide for Malaysian companies on fair recruitment of migrant workers. Datuk will give us an overview of what forced labor looks like in the Malaysian economy today, what the main challenges are, and especially the challenges for small and medium-sized enterprises. He will also set out the business case for investing in zero recruitment fee models and tackling forced labor more widely, and look at options for doing this in a cost-effective way. Secondly, we will hear from Mr. Maud Fawzi Maud-Ghazali, who is the Senior Director of Sustainability at the Malaysian Rubber Council, a government agency with over 500 company members that promotes rubber products in world markets. Mr. Fawzi will give us an overview of the Malaysian rubber industry and how it operates and delve deeper into how unfair recruitment practices in particularly high fees charged to migrant workers can lead to forced labor and how this can be prevented. Mr. Fawzi will also give a very useful overview of the relevant national and international legal frameworks businesses should be aware of. And he will share the best and most useful tools and guidance materials out there for businesses looking to address forced labor. Last but definitely not least, we will speak with Dr. Ang Tiang Hong, Group Chief Strategy Officer at Harps Global. Central Medicare is a subsidiary of Harps Global and produces rubber gloves for medical purposes. Central Medicare has made very rapid progress when it comes to both preventing and addressing forced labor in its operations. Working very closely with a range of partners, from the Malaysian Rubber Council to other businesses and social activists. Chan Hong will tell us about the company's journey and share his top tips for other businesses looking to fight forced labor. We will, of course, share the links to all the resources mentioned in this podcast episode on our website, flbusiness.network. Let's get started and hear from our first speaker. Datsuk, it's a pleasure to have you here with us today. Please, could you tell us a little bit about the Malaysian Employees Federation and yourself?
1: Thank you, Mariska. Yes, uh, Malaysian Employees Federation was established about 65 years ago. I think MEF membership now covering all sectors of the economy. And and of course, uh, you know, we have more than uh, 6,800 Uh, direct members uh, as uh, individual members as as members and also of course we have uh, currently 29 associations affiliated with us and our uh, members employ close to 3 million employees yes and uh, just uh, a bit on myself Uh, I joined MEF uh, very very long ago and in fact this is my second career after my short stint in the Central Bank of Malaysia, yeah, and of course initially I I did all the industrial relations work, going in and out of the industrial court and also of course uh, negotiating with the union, but now since the last 20 years I was more like managing
0: MEF itself. Fantastic, so you are a real business and economic expert. Thank you very much. Mariska. Thinking a little bit specifically about forced labor, where is forced labor mostly found in Malaysia? And is it changing?
1: Yes, of course. Uh, I think uh, due to the pressure from the importing companies, yeah? and of course, when I talk about pressure, this is more like the the, the action by the importing uh, countries to impose uh, with withhold release order. Then of course yes there were a lot of uh, I would say activities as far as trying to understand and trying to avoid any allegations about forced labour yeah and of course uh, currently uh, of course we are facing uh, some issues uh, within the plantation sector within the, the manufacturing some yeah and also of course uh, within the construction sector but uh, as far as the, the issues uh, with uh, forced labour that had been known internationally, uh, this is uh, confined very much to the plantation sector, where there were a lot of allegations about forced labour in the sense that uh, employers are being alleged to have asked the workers to work uh, longer hours than necessary. Of course, there are some issues on uh, retention of uh, travel documents. There are some issues about uh, the fact that recommendation is not uh, satisfactory enough. Yeah? And of course, uh, one one of the major things that uh, actually uh, came out of these uh, issues are basically now, I think uh, many, many of the employers are very much uh, interested to know more about uh, forced labor. They want to understand what are the issues and of course take the necessary uh, steps uh, to avoid any uh, allegations about forced labor within their operations itself.
0: It's great to hear that businesses are so motivated to prevent and address forced labour. From what you're saying, it sounds like forced labour in the plantation sector is a real issue right now. And the remote and isolated nature of work on plantations, of course, makes workers more vulnerable to abuse. So it's a good thing that the plantation sector can take inspiration from the progress made by the rubber industry in this regard. How are international legal frameworks and those of importing countries changing forced labour eradication in Malaysia? Are businesses doing anything different?
1: Yeah, uh, I would say that uh, the response by companies, uh, I would say, fantastic. I would say that, uh, and of course, they are very interested to actually Uh, take steps to remedy any uh, issues that are related to forced labor. And I know there are some uh, bigger companies that actually had established a full force department just to look at the issues on forced labor. And that, I would say, is very positive. But we also must realize that not all companies are the bigger companies. Not all companies uh, have the... means and facilities to to combat forced labour. And this is where uh, organisations like MEF itself is playing a major role in trying to raise awareness to all these smaller employers on the need to actually understand and avoid any allegations on forced labour.
0: So the big companies have made a huge push to eradicate forced labour and have dedicated a lot of their human resources to it. Is it more difficult for small and medium-sized companies to prevent and address forced labor? And what are the main challenges for them, do you think?
1: Uh, I would say that, yes, uh, it is true that the smaller companies have, uh, I would say, challenges, especially those who are within the micro-enterprises. When I saw, when I say micro-enterprises in a Malaysian context, it is more like, companies that employ uh, less than five employees, they are really very, very small. And uh, the major constraint is, of course, uh, financial uh, capacity. And these uh, small companies, they don't have uh, a lot of resources in terms of finances and also human resources to really advise them on the necessary things to be done. And, And this is where Uh, you know, uh, being associated with uh, organizations like MEF will assist them to understand the issues on forced labor better. Because uh, then uh, we we can also uh, associate ourselves with some of the ILO, uh, I would say, uh, departments that work on forced labor and try to get the best out of it in trying to raise awareness on the subject matter among the smaller companies uh, within the, the, the Malaysian operations.
0: And what support is available for SMEs in Malaysia, specifically on forced labor eradication?
1: Yeah, like MEF had worked uh, very closely with uh, ILO. Yeah? Uh, of course, because one... you
0: are also a member of the ILO, Global Business Network on Forced Labor. Y-
1: yes, yes. And I, I must say that uh, MEF is the first uh, employer's organization in the world to be a member of this uh, particular outfit, the GBNLFL, and, and of course, uh, yes, uh, we, we had actually been receiving a lot of assistance uh, from the, the organization in trying to actually uh, raise awareness and also develop uh, tools uh, to actually uh, uh, be used by our our members, and also, employees at large for free, basically, because uh, then actually, what we had done is that we had developed this kind of templates, and the templates are being, uh, of course, translated into uh, Malay, the Malay language, and Mandarin, so that the, the reach to the to the smaller employers can be very much better. Yeah,
0: that sounds absolutely fantastic. Yeah. as you know, Perfect. this mm. podcast focuses on the experience of the rubber industry in Malaysia specifically when it comes to eradicating forced labor. In your view, how is the experience of the rubber industry relevant to other economic sectors in Malaysia?
1: Yeah, of course, uh, focusing on the rubber industry itself, when the matter was first raised, in fact, most of the rubber related uh, industries are actually making, I would say, quite good money because at that time, the demand for their products are very high. And of course, uh, with that kind of uh, good demands for their product, of course, they have some extra money to actually address the issue of forced labor. Say, say for example, one of the issues faced by them is uh, uh, to, to actually pay back the kind of costs incurred by the foreign workers when they wanted to come to Malaysia and and i must say that the amount is not cheap uh, Say for example from bangladesh we are talking about 15000 ringgit uh, per, per worker yeah that is uh, close to 3500 usd then at that time these companies are able because they have extra financial resources to make the necessary remediation yeah but of course i mean these companies when uh, COVID actually uh, becoming uh, less apparent and and it's no longer a real threat. So these companies, of course, unfortunately, see a drop in demand for their products. And of course, that's where the problem is because they may not be able to really sustain the kind of high cost incurred uh, to to actually fight uh, the issues of forced labor within their operations.
0: It's really interesting that you are raising the zero recruitment fee model, which has yeah. will also be raised by the other speakers on this podcast. Yeah, yeah. And as you say, it it incurs a cost yeah. for employers. How do you think employers can can cover those costs in a sustainable way?
1: Yeah, you know, basically, of course, uh, we are actually uh, proposing to the government that let us uh, be more realistic about uh, the issues related to the cost of uh, employing uh, the the foreign workers uh, currently the cost is high because uh, of the involvement of third parties the agents in trying to uh, recruit the, the, the foreign workers themselves is either at the, at the source country and also at in, in Malaysia itself so so this is where we we are we as an organization as MEF we actually propose to the government that let us uh, possibly uh, change the way we actually uh, recruit foreign workers. Why not we we go on a basis of government to government? What I understand basically, when you talk about government to government program, the the cost of recruiting the the, the foreign worker will not be more than 1,000 USD per worker. And that I would say, is a huge saving, and of course, uh, I would say that the, the the savings that we make actually can make a lot of difference in terms of companies' ability to provide better housing, uh, better uh, transportation facilities, and 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 uh, things like that. Yeah. So so I would say that this part is critical for us to make sure that the cost of uh, recruiting. that the the foreign workers are not really unduly high.
0: So just to summarize for our listeners, there are different recruitment channels open to businesses. These include going through private employment agencies and they can also include taking part in government-to-government recruitment schemes which bypass employment agencies. Whatever channels used, the recruitment needs to include proper due diligence and respect the principles of fair recruitment to protect workers against forced labour situations and other abuses. Now, in a zero recruitment fee model, the cost of recruitment is not borne by the worker in order to prevent forced labor situations through debt bondage. But of course, someone has to pay for the recruitment. And this can be the business doing the recruitment. In the case of Malaysia, Datuk argues that a government to government recruitment scheme could be much more cost effective than going through private employment agencies. So a government to government scheme is potentially more financially sustainable for the company. Finally, I'd just like to ask you, Thinking about Malaysian businesses across all sectors and specifically SMEs, what are your top three tips for them when it comes to preventing and addressing forced labor, both in their operations and their supply chains?
1: Uh, I think first it's important that uh, they need to understand what is forced labor itself, you know, because. Uh, many of them may not realize that uh, actually they are practicing forced labor. Say, say, for example, just on the issue of uh, long hours of work. Yeah? We, we know that uh, basically, of course, if you are dealing with the uh, U.S. market, the U.S. actually had determined that your normal working hours plus overtime is uh, not, mo- not more than 60 hours per day. As per week, so sorry. Yeah? Whereas in the Malaysian context, based on our laws and regulation, then we are talking about uh maximum of 72 hours per week. Yeah. So so this is where perhaps if these companies are not aware that, yeah, you're complying with the Malaysian laws, but you are not complying with the, your, your export market standard, then of course uh, they can be hauled up for what they call it as uh, you know, uh, exceeding the hours of work. And and this is important for them to understand because uh, if they don't understand this, then they, they may be thinking that what they are doing in complying with the national labor laws is good enough for them to comply with the international requirements. So, so again, here, I, I would say that uh, a good understanding of the basic thing that can cause allegation of forced labor is really critical for the smaller countries.
0: Okay, so to summarize your first top tip for Malaysian businesses, including SMEs, is that the Malaysian legal legal framework is not necessarily aligned to the requirements of importing countries. So Malaysian businesses need to be fully aware of the Malaysian legal requirements, but also the legal requirements of their importing countries.
1: Yes, very much, yes, that's true.
0: And what is your second top tip?
1: And of course, uh, basically, having understand what are the requirements of forced labour, then of course, they need to actually allocate some resources to actually implement the kind of policies that are actually geared to to avoid any kind of issues on forced labour. And and this sometimes can be costly. For example, when you're talking about trying to comply with with the national law as far as accommodation is concerned. Yes, that can be very expensive, but in the long run, if you have a a good accommodation, then your your employees can be healthier and they can be more productive. So so then we we can see that actually in trying to combat forced labor, we say that you would have a, a, a better set of employees that are healthier, And they they are also contributing to the growth of productivity within the company. And this is where, based on that kind of premise, uh, increased productivity, the companies can be more competitive and more sustainable in their businesses.
0: So top tip number two is allocate sufficient resources to addressing forced labor. It may be quite expensive in the short term, but in the long term, it will save the company money and even potentially improve profits. Yep. For your last top tip, it would be great if you could recommend a tool or a guide or a training course that, in your view, is the most useful for businesses looking to change their approach to forced labour. So
1: basically, of course, uh, uh, adding a, a general understanding about what is forced labour itself is very, very critical. ILO had listed 11 types of issues that can lead to forced labour and employers should be guided on all these uh, issues.
0: Datuk sends a strong message to businesses. It is entirely achievable to prevent forced labour in your operations. And more widely, it's also possible to reduce recruitment costs associated with a zero recruitment fee model. It's worth investing. In fact, there's a strong business case for it. The company will save money and potentially even increase profits in the long term. Tatuk also recommends that businesses learn how to spot the signs of forced labor. The ILO's 11 forced labor indicators are very handy here. And we produced an earlier podcast episode on these. The link will, of course, be added to the show notes for those who wish to listen. Let's hear now from Mr. Fawzi from the Malaysian Rubber Council for a deeper understanding of how forced labor in the rubber industry occurs and what is being done to successfully tackle it.
2: My name is Mohamed Fauzi and I'm the Chief Sustainability and Information Services. The Malaysian Rubber Council is an agency under the Ministry of Plantation and Commodities and is tasked with undertaking market promotions of quality Malaysian rubber products in world markets. We have nearly 500 registered member companies from the rubber industry, especially companies from the downstream and midstream supply chain. To date, Malaysia has exported to more than 190 companies or countries and has more than 300 rubber product manufacturers in active trading. With our vision is to make Malaysia as the leading exporter of quality and sustainably produced rubber products, the MRC continues to focus on principles to promote sustainable and responsible business practices through the implementation of ESG initiative, as well as building and maintaining strong relationships with our stakeholders. That's a bit about uh, MRCs, Mariska.
0: Thank you. Uh, Thinking a bit about sustainability and responsible business conduct, what in your view are the key challenges for the Malaysian rubber industry when it comes to forced labour eradication?
2: The plantation and commodities industries in Malaysia generate huge revenues for the country. For the rubber industries, we are the largest exporter of gloves and second largest for condoms in the world. The total export of rubber stood at 6.79 billion ringgit in 2022 alone. This industry must be protected for our comparative advantage to be sustained, especially when the economy is still in recovery after the pandemic. So due to this, the demand and requirements for labor are quite significant. In the rubber glove alone, we have more than 66,000 of workers and about 60% are migrant workers. Having said that, we allowed or rather provided a new business entity, which is industries of labor supply and such associated services in which they believe they can maximize profit from importing labor. And with their equipment structural features that cause workers to incur high fee payments and debt that make their vulnerability to forced labor conditions. This is what we call debt bondage scenario. Labor outsourcing involving a third party when beyond facilitating the normal recruitment process. i just give example of deception is one of the methods applied to a stage where it undermines accountability and negate the line of responsibility between employer and employee. And this has been widely identified as a major source of labor abuse and legal non-compliance. Secondly, our national legal frameworks governing migrations and employment to a certain extent do not f- yet fully aligned with the relevant international standards. We together with worker representatives and the government are working on this. It is of very high priority and important to all of us and Malaysia has made a lot of progress in the past years. I just want to give example recently, the Ministry of Home Affairs and the Ministry of Human Resources, together with Ministry of Plantation and Commodities, were planning a better integrated and more fluid kind of process and system when it comes to migration matters. Honestly, honestly speaking, we are moving to a better migration system and framework. Lastly, I also, to say that businesses in the rubber industry's supply chain need better understand fourth level in mission context why is it relevant to the company how it manifests itself at enterprise level and within the supply chain they also need an understanding of international and regional legal frameworks as well as policies of importing countries buyer sourcing policy and supplier code of conduct are equally important those are main issues and challenges faced by our rubber industries, Mariska.
0: So the Malaysian government and its partners have been making a concerted effort to tackle some of the structural challenges associated with forced labour eradication. What have more specifically businesses in the Malaysian rubber industry been doing in recent years to address and prevent forced labour?
2: During the COVID-19 pandemic reports of forced labour in the industry increased, couple with sanctions imposed by U.S. Custom Border Protections or CBP, through withhold release order, or WRO, that really hurt the glove manufacturers. And all this really pushed rubber businesses to act. The last few years have seen huge progress. I'm glad to see here is that, from six manufacturers affected by this ban, all except one is left with this WRO ban. Due to a remedial action plan and drastic improvement to their recruitment policies, with the help from the Malaysian Rubber Glove Manufacturers Association, MAGMA, through successful bilateral dialogues and discussions with US CBP, it really improved the compliance issues. The other example that I can provide here is that the rubber glove industry is moving towards a zero recruitment fee model. Which prevents situation of forced labor because it avoids debt bondage. This is quite common form of forced labor found in Asia, especially in the case of migrant workers. Debt bondage exists when people are forced to work for an employer to pay off their own debts. I give you an example. Imagine a situation where a recruiter, normally an employment agency, helps the workers to obtain temporary jobs. The recruiter, the agency, lands the workers' money to pay for the upfront recruitment fees and costs. The agency then deceive the workers about the nature and conditions of the work. The agency can also manipulate the debt, for example, by applying high interest rates. I'm not saying all recruitment agencies are doing such manipulation agenda, but some do because they try to maximize their profits and taking advantage of situation of people trying to get better jobs. And the other side, there's a demand for workers. So once arrive at their new place of work, workers are told that they cannot leave or refuse the work because they must earn the money to repay back their debts. The workers are now victims of forced labor. So a zero-recruitment system avoids forced labor because the worker pays zero fees to the recruiter. We are not 100% there yet, but you are making good progress. The rubber glove industry is in process of establishing a system of accountability to make sure that recruitment agencies stick to the relevant recruitment policies. Again, stricter and comprehensive recruitment guidelines and frameworks are essential. We are also improving social protection for workers in the industries, which reduces workers' vulnerability to forced labor. For example, MRC has provided self-employment insurance to almost 38,000 rubber smallholders to date. On the other Malaysian context, just to add a few points here, target 8.7 of the 2030 Sustainable Development Goals, or SDGs, outlines the commitment to ending modern day slavery and human trafficking by the year 2030. The target specifically calls for the state to take immediate and effective measures to eradicate forced labor to stop modern slavery and human trafficking on top of that the national agro community policy 2021 to 2030 set by the ministry of plantation and commodities is also established to drive the development of the sector in a more sustainable competitive and market oriented manner so in line with the target 8 of the sdgs malaysia has recognized the problem of fourth labor and has already taken steps to address such issue. In 2021, the Ministry of Human Resources established the National Action Plan on Fourth Labor for five years beginning 2021 to 2025. So I can see here is there's a lot of programs and initiatives that have been planned by various government agencies and our international partners together and rubber associations to address the social compliance issues and remedial action plans are in place to tackle and address the risks. So, yeah, that's some of the, uh, you know, how we tackle forced labor in the industries, Maeska?
0: It's great to hear that Malaysia is so motivated to tackle forced labor and to meet Sustainable Development Target 8.7, which aims to eradicate it by 2030, which is only six years from now. It's also been really interesting to hear from you how changing your recruitment model of migrant workers is making a huge contribution to tackling forced labour, specifically by avoiding any fees borne by the workers. Focusing now specifically on MRC's involvement with the ILO on driving decent work in supply chains and responsible business conduct more widely, what for you have been the highlights? In
2: 2022, we set up a successful joint initiative with the ILO for the rubber industries in Malaysia as part of the sustainable supply chain to build for a better project, funded by the European Commission. A lot of good work has been done, including very useful deep dive research into challenges for the rubber industry in terms of forced labour eradication and responsible business conduct. We did many things, actually, to implement the recommendations of the deep dive research. For example, we trained forty three companies on the international labour standards on occupational and safety and health, OSH. And I think for me, a real success has been the publication of a new practical guide called "Addressing, Preventing, and Eliminating Forced Labour in the Rubber Industry in Malaysia: A Practical Guide for Malaysian Employers." And this guide is the first step for companies in ensuring. They comply with Malaysian forced labor rules and regulations. The guidebook also provides guidance for employers and industry associations. The good thing about this guidebook is that it can or should be used by our members to detect potential forced labor risks within their company's recruitment and employment practices. It is also set out how we manage and reduce those risks if forced labor is already happening in the company. So the guide also outlines the human rights due diligence and forced labor policies of major importing countries of national rubber products. For example, Australia's Modern Slavery Act 2018, Canada's custom tariff, EU's guidance on due diligence for EU businesses to address the risk of forced labor in their operation and supply chain, and France corporate duty of vigilance, just to name a few.
0: That sounds right like an awful lot for businesses to take on board. Is there any additional support for them?
2: Oh, you're right, Naiska. Naiska businesses are investing a lot of time and energy here. Um, to help businesses get to grips with the guide, we offered training in 2022. We trained 82 participants from 34 rubber product manufacturing companies in how to use the guide. All our 400 registered enterprise members have received a copy of this guide, which you can also find on our website as well as on the ILO's website. The guide has been, has been very well received and we are very proud of it. I highly recommend it to business listeners in the rubber industries and beyond. We are also doing other things to help our rubber industries, especially when it comes to new regulations and legislation for example we have highlighted the challenges that that are encountered by our companies in implementing eu corporate sustainability due diligence legislation eu csdd and gave recommendations to the european commissions on how these challenges can be addressed mrc has been supporting industries members by delivering capacity building programs such as addressing forced labour, social compliance, safety and health, energy efficiency, waste management, among others, and MRC's ESG capacity building programmes have benefited more than 800 participants from close to 300 companies in the rubber industries. And we will continue to push forward our ESG agenda in the industry. Just to highlight a bit how we are doing moving, moving forward, Mariska.
0: That sounds very positive. And we will, of course, share the links to the guide you have mentioned in the show notes to this podcast episode. Are there any other tools or resources that you would recommend to Malaysian businesses acting on forced labour?
2: There's also another ILO tool called Combating Forced Labour, a handbook for employers and business, which is very, very helpful. There are many other tools, guides, plans and references that I would suggest I mean, uh, national action plan on forced labor, for example, national action plan on trafficking in persons, the anti-trafficking in persons and anti-smuggling of migrant acts, at TIPSOM, which was passed in 2007, and the uh, national action plan on anti-trafficking in Person and anti-smuggling of migrants, which was launched in 2010.
0: As a final question. Going back to the Sustainable Development Target 8.7, which aims to eradicate forced labour by 2030, do you think it is possible to eliminate forced labour in the Malaysian rubber industry by 2030 and meet that target?
2: Yeah, as I mentioned earlier on, eradicating the forced labour is our aim, our goal. It's a long journey, but we have to stop somewhere. That's why we are moving to a very drastic uh, movements, plannings, together with other agencies. How I will make sure that we can collaborate and uh, uh, recognize our effort together, so that we can achieve the 2030 goals of having zero level issues. So I'm I'm quite uh, optimistic about that, Anushka.
0: Isn't it incredibly motivating to hear that Mr. Fawzi is so confident about Malaysia meeting that Sustainable Development Target 8.7 and eliminating forced labor by 2030? The tools and guides he mentions, which you can find on our website, will make a real difference to businesses who want to join the movement but haven't yet done so. Now, on to our final speaker, Dr. Ang Chiang Hong, who will share with us the inspiring story of the forced labor eradication journey of Central Medicare. Central Medicare produces medical examination and surgical gloves. The company's main markets are the US and Europe, and the company employs around 4,000 workers, of which 60 to 70% are migrant workers. Thinking a bit about the Central Medicare sustainability journey and social compliance, what made the company decide to change its approach to tackling forced labor in its operations and supply chains?
3: I think it's about customers. Um, we are a customer-focused company, and this is one of the key areas that our customers very emphasise with. And as such, uh, we also put in a lot of focus in this area. And the second factor, I believe, is more on the US trade ban enforcement. And we are following up about the development. And also, we are learning about the requirements along the way uh, about some of the incident reported within the industry. And the third one, I believe, is something to do with social activists. So same like other rubber industry players as well, we get contacted by uh, social activists like, uh, like Andy Hall. To be frank, we decided to take it positively as part of our stakeholders engagement uh, process. And to be frank, throughout the whole process, we, we learned a lot and yeah, along the way we learn a lot and and, and, and and to be frank, Andy guided us very process, positively uh, along the whole journey. And last but not least is about the company core values, which represented by our company name hubs, S stand for sustainability, and the social compliance is one of the key elements under umbrella under the sustainability.
0: Right, so you got a lot of support from uh, Andy Hall, who's a a well-known social activist. Did you receive any support from other organizations and businesses?
3: Yeah, obviously, obviously, yes. I mean, IRO is one and uh, with the involvement in the IRO and also some of the activities between the collaboration between I O and also the Malaysia Rubber Council, MRC, so we... As a team, we participated with uh, many of the training workshops, uh, which related to social compliance uh, under the initiative of the uh, uh, MRC as well as the Magma. And one thing that I would like to mention is the little blue book <laughs> that I think published together. I mean, it's a joint effort between MRC and ILO. I think the name is about the book name is actually uh, addressing, preventing, and eliminating forced labor in the rubber industry in Malaysia. Uh, It's a practical guide uh, for Malaysian employers. Our HR team is actually using this book a lot uh, alongside with the rest of the Code of conducts. For example, we are the member of the Responsible Glove Alliance under the initiative of the RBA, Responsible Business Alliance. The Code of conducts of RBA do help us a lot as well. On top of all this, right, we also receive a... uh, very good support from the IOM, the interna- the inter, uh, the international organisation for migrations, for the start of our journey. So the team in, especially the team in Malaysia, actually gave us of the capacity building, uh, support earlier. We got quite a good introduction from our customers. We have a customer in Scandinavia and they were the first who linked us to the RBA and also started our journey uh, earlier as well on top of uh, the rest of our customers in the US. And the rest of the uh, the standard and also the organization we follow, for example, SIDEX Meta, the ETI-based code, REP, the Worldwide Responsible Accredit Uh, productions and also the M4E BSCI which uh, under the 13 social performance do help us to give a lot of guidelines and also the benchmark how we wanted to align ourselves and we do receive quite some good support from our peers for example like KOSAN do help us a lot uh, to sharing their experience which we appreciated very much.
0: It's so good to hear that you are building productive relationships with other companies, that are both upstream and downstream. Also, it's great to hear you're getting support from Amfori, which is actually an ILO GBNFL member. Thinking a bit about the changes that Central Medicare has gone through, could you summarize what Central Medicare is doing now that it wasn't doing before when it comes to tackling forced labor? And is it working? Are there fewer cases of forced labor being identified?
3: Right. Okay. Let me summarize it slowly. Okay. Comparing to before, right? I mean, um, when we started our journey of sustainability and when uh, the rest of the management team and myself uh, look into this one in more details, we have our sustainability uh, roadmap established for the whole group. And we have five key sustainability pillars, which are integrated business strategy, people environmentals and uh, health and safety. And lastly, which is the uh, compliance. So those are the key areas that we set as a pillars to back or to guide our sustainability road mapping and also the key action that we set for the organizations. So with all this in place, right? uh, And also the support from the organization that I mentioned earlier. So we established a management system to manage our social compliance and also the rest of the sustainability elements. And to be frank, I think we, we 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 do see improvement along the way because we has been get audited by all the I mean from our customers and also the independent, uh, certification organization, via the independent uh, auditing firm. We do see the 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 findings that they reported from the earlier few years ago until recently. We can see those are uh, actually a great improvement, and which is actually very motivating actually very, very motivating for the whole, whole whole team together, to be frank, because we do see the learning and how we address the thing. But to be frank, all these things will not happen overnight. It's part of the journey how the team learning together. So now, uh, one of the key projects that we are working on is to ensure we're having the Responsible Recruitment Program for the upcoming the migrant workers' uh, recruitment. So the zero recruitment fee policy is something that we wanted to uphold. And with the support from the organisation that we uh, work together and be with the NDS as well, we have a lot along the, uh, these new projects to be sure the new batch of the migrant workers that we are going to take in, they're actually free from the recruitment fee along the whole process. So it's a bless, it's a learning, but we are learning along the way.
0: So lots of progress in that case. How do you feel about the future of the Malaysian rubber industry when it comes to eradicating forced labour and more generally making social compliance a reality?
3: Yeah, it's a good question. (laughs) I think comparing to the five, six or seven years uh, ago, I think the whole Malaysian industry actually making a very, very, uh, uh, I mean a drastic improvement and also the progress made, And from, we don't really know a lot about the so-called 11 force level indicators uh, published by the ILO until now, very well worth. And many of our team members are actually aware and how we wanted to be sure those elements is actually were well taken care So as a company, okay, we wanted to be sure that we do the right thing for our people. Including the migrant workers, everyone, has, uh, uh, everyone is equal for the for, for the organization. We wanted to be sure the so called sustainability and also the social compliance is a commitment and it's a journey. It's not something that we, today we tell you we reported a good audit performance, that's it, stop. No, it's a journey because uh, I believe it's a, it's a dynamic process and we're learning along the way. So, any new findings or whatever thing is something that uh, we want to pick up positively, and we can address and try to improve or optimize the whole process accordingly. So, I don't think it's easy. A lot of commitment and a lot of involvement for our people, uh, but it's something that both the organisation to invest and commit with.
0: Well, if that isn't a call to action to businesses around the world to take on forced labour, then I don't know what is. Last but not least, what are your three top tips for other companies? In the Malaysian rubber industry, but also beyond, who wish to address and prevent forced labor?
3: Wow, we're a good one. <laughs> Me, right? Or one, what are or three? three, or five. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think I, think, uh, yeah, I can easily uh, give a tree a shrink so that uh, we can learn together with the rest of the peers. The very first one that I would like to say, there are actually many resources available. I mean, for example, I mean, Mariska, you asked about the second question about the organization and also the, the involvement or, or how we work with others. So the resources available like ILO, MLC, uh, RBA, and the rest of the organization that we work together. So learning is never end. So I think be open-minded and try to join the rest. I think this is something good. Uh, tips that I would like to share. The second item that I would like to share as well, uh, don't underestimate the power of collaboration and partnership. Under the UN SDGs, the ICON17 is talking about working together or partnership for a better goal. So I think this is something important. For example, how we work with the rest of the stakeholders, uh, with MRC, I mean, with with Andy and also some other stakeholders. I think this is important and we are generating better impact to the area that we are trying to work on. And the last but not least is, uh I think the stakeholders uh, exchange and also the engagement, which is something that I believe if we take it posit- positively, we can learn a lot throughout those uh exchange and also the, the, the communication, because we will never know everything by ourselves, but through the communication of the exchange, I believe it will, be a, it will be a lovely journey from learning and, and we can improve along the way.
0: What an inspiring interview. For me, one of the key takeaways is the importance of working together with all partners, including social activists, and to have an open, honest relationship with those partners. Hong's story also highlights that strategies to tackle forced labor are very much part of a company's social compliance approach and wide environmental, social, and environmental standards, commonly known as ESG. Tackling forced labor should be part of a company's sustainability strategy. And again, zero recruitment fee models are very important here. All our speakers have outlined the huge progress the Malaysian rubber industry has made over the past few years. We hope this podcast has inspired you. The journey continues and the Malaysian business community is going full steam ahead to eradicate forced labor by 2030. This is a podcast from the International Labor Organization's Global Business Network on Forced Labor. Visit our website on flbusiness.network for more information and look out for our next episode.